start in a kind of a brief series. It's three weeks long. It's on our vision. If you uh, look in the back, when you leave, you'll see this lit up sign uh, in, the, in the foyer there. And it says, reach, restore, and respond. And if you have a bulletin, you can look on the back of that bulletin and you will see reach, restore, and respond. And if you talk to me about this church, you'll hear me say reach, restore, and respond. And everything we do is all about reach, restore, and respond. And so in the beginning of each year, I like to just kind of go through this again so that we understand what each of those words means so that when I say reach, we're all on the same page. When I say restore, we're all on the same page. When I say respond, we're... You, got, you know, you figured <laughs> we're all on the same page there. I had to say it. Uh, and so uh, this morning we're going to talk about uh, reaching. And then uh, after this series, uh, this, this week and the next two weeks, we're going to start a series called Storm Chasers. And so if you know anyone who's going through a dif- difficult time in their lives, that series is going to focus on storms that come into our lives and facing them head on with the tools that God has given us to, to face our trials. So... Uh, not running from them, but, but uh, heading into the storm. So uh, in, just begin to be praying about who might uh, in your life might want to hear something like that. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter uh, 9, this kind of gives the section of Scripture that goes over our reach, restore, respond. And over, the ne- over this week and the next two weeks, we're going to hit this section of scripture just to kind of see where do we get this idea that we reach uh, lives with the love of the father we restore lives to healthy relationship in the son we respond to the move of the spirit where do we get that from and 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 um, the section of scripture i love to go through is matthew chapter 9 and uh, i've broken it down this way it says this starting in verse 35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And uh, we'll just stop there. That, that's the reach. Jesus went out. He, Jesus didn't sit in, in, on a mountain and have everyone come up the holy mountain and talk to him. Jesus went out. He reached. One of the reasons why um, our church will receive anyone that comes through the door. But we're not going to wait around for people to come here. Our, our job as a church, as a body of believers, as a community, is to go out. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, we don't sit and wait. We go out. And so this verse, in verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And it goes on, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the restore part. The healing every kind of disease, the harassed and the helpless. And and, and what happens, the way this reach, restore, and respond kind of flows, it's kind of like a circle where, where, where we reach lives with the love of the Father, and then they come into community and their lives that need to be restored. I, I don't know about you, but when I came to Christ, that wasn't the end for me. That was just the beginning of my relationship with God. There, there had to be this res- restoration process. If you're in the church long enough and you hang around Christians long enough, we have to invent big words because it makes us feel important. So that word, that big word we've invented is sanctification. It's a, it's, a, it's a process of, of holiness, 
of things in our lives that maybe were holding us back or areas in our lives of sin or areas of addiction or whatever, that restoration process is, is, is God refining us. Is God taking those things that were once stumbling blocks and now they're stepping stones for us to move forward in Christ. And so that verse, uh, the healing every disease and sickness and being harassed and helpless. And then, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, there's again that send out, workers into his harvest field. And in verse Uh, chapter 10 verse 1 he called the 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness again this is the respond part see once once we've been reached and we come to this relationship in christ and we begin to understand areas in our lives that need to change there's gonna come a time when god is gonna place on you a burden or an idea or something to respond to some type of ministry it's why jackie's up here oftentimes saying you guys gotta see what's going on in children's ministry hopefully that will if the holy spirit has been stirring in you you'll go yeah you know what i'm gonna respond to that and it doesn't have to be children's ministry it can be anything for some of us that stirring of response is gonna bring us right back to reach again and we're going to go, man, God has done an amazing work in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach. Now, at, right after this is a verse, uh, verse uh, 2. And it says, there, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. The only reason I'm bringing this up is we're going to talk about the calling of one of these disciples. And also to point out that I can never remember two of the disciples' names. And I'll show you which ones they are. Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew. I always forget Bartholomew, but that's not the one I forget the most. Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Who knew, honestly, who knew that Thaddeus was a disciple? Good job. Every time I read the list, I go, oh, overachiever. Okay. Uh, Every time I read the list, I'm like, oh yeah, Thaddeus. Because if you were to ask me, and I'm a pastor, who are the, I'd start out with, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but Mark and Luke were disciples. So it was Thaddeus and Bartholomew. Now hold on, just before we get going, I just want to think about this. Why did I, why in my brain do I pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Because they're the Gospels, and they did something. They wrote something, right? They wrote a book. Disciples should be writing books, right? But Thaddeus and Bartholomew are really encouraging to me. Because I, the only time you see Thaddeus is when the disciples are listed. I don't know what the guy did, right? He didn't do, he didn't write a book, we don't know that he healed anybody. He didn't even doubt. I mean, at least Thomas got to doubt and got, his, you know, got to be in there somewhere. Thaddeus just kind of, he was part of the 12. That is so encouraging to me that Jesus would pick somebody and he'd be one of the 12 disciples and we don't have to know that he did something great. Let me show you the calling of, of, uh, of Matthew. On your outline, there's a little thing. It's going to be the lamest point you've ever heard, okay? We, you can fill it out. We reach because Jesus did. You're like, 
and we pay you for this kind of stuff? If you would let that sink into your mind this week, the reason reach is our number one thing in, in order is because that's what Jesus did. I'm, I'm going to read a, a verse in Luke that is really mind-boggling. And, and we'll see it even more as we look at Matthew's call. But Jesus is coming from a unique perspective. I mean, if, if Jesus, Jesus was God, and, and although he existed in the form of God, he did not hold that to, he did not hold on to that. He, he came down for a reason, and it was to bring us into relationship with our Heavenly Father. That was his purpose for coming. That was it. Reaching the lost. If for not, just to bring us into relationship with our Heavenly Father. We now reach because Jesus reached. I want to give you the perspective that Jesus was coming from. In Luke, there's this guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, he was a wee little man. Louis little man was he. Uh, it's a little song for those of you who think I'm insane. Uh, he climbed up in us. Okay. Uh, and so he comes to Jesus. He's a tax collector. And he comes to Jesus and he, he, he wants to find out. And he, he ends up just right there on the spot, essentially giving his life over to Christ. Says he's going to pay back stuff. He's just like radical transformation right away. And, and listen to what Jesus says. It's unbelievable in this. He says, in uh, Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There isn't too much in the scriptures that gets the angels going. I mean, there are some angels who just buzz around God all the time saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But there's something about someone giving their life over to Christ that gets the angels going. See, check this out, though. Jesus is the one speaking here. He's seen it happen firsthand. You see his perspective? He's been there when the angels, I don't know how they get it, you know, if they flutter their wings or whatever. I have no clue what they do, if they jump up and down or whatever. But there's rejoicing. The angels rejoice when someone comes to Christ. And so as we make this one of our top priorities as a community of believers, you and I, as we go out uh, uh, into what is our kind of garden grove, you know, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, kind of our garden grove, Westminster, Anaheim, you know, uh, Orange County, California, as we kind of kind of are a living spring that kind of just goes out like that. There is rejoicing in heaven when people come to Christ. It's just, it's just incredible. I want to read uh, uh, one of these accounts, essentially, uh, uh, with a guy named Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 9, and this is going to give us some insight into what this reaching process looks like. I, I mentioned, I, I taught on this uh, last year, uh-huh. okay, because that could have been just last week, right? Last year. Okay, I taught about this uh, last year about what our, uh, um, our reaching process is essentially invest, invite, and include. We invest in the lives of those around us at an appropriate time we invite them to an appropriate event maybe it's church maybe it's small group maybe it's our be the church campaign which is coming up again in june and we invite them to something and then we include them 
into what's happening. So if you're in a small group and somebody invites their unsaved friend, we don't sit back and go, oh man, small group's ruined. Part of the evangelism process is to include, okay? And so all of us are in this process in all different ways. So if somebody walks through the back door and they come and sit down, we embrace them, we include them, we receive them. Okay, um, may, maybe it's, it's a, a, a neighbor that you're talking to. So we're going to look at this story through the lens of invest, invite, and include. Because I, I think in a lot of ways, we've turned evangelism into something that's unnatural. We, we've turned it into this, this, this guilt thing, this thing where I've, I, I have to go over these four laws or the... At, and, and as you see Jesus kind of operate, we, we get some insight. So it's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let's just stop there real quick, and I'll give you some insight into what's going on. A lot of you know this already, but uh, Israel is occupied by Rome at this time, and Rome was collecting taxes, uh, and they were unfair, okay? Okay kind of like today. And so um, uh, what they would do is you could buy this franchise, you you, you would pay money, and then you had the right to collect taxes of those people around you. Now, let me just give you an idea of what this would be like. Let's say, let's just pick a company, a country, Uzbekistan, okay? Uzbekistan comes in, and they take over America. And Uzbekistan wants to collect taxes from us. And so they essentially say, look, if anyone wants to collect taxes, this is the number we're shooting for. Anything over that, you can keep. Now imagine if I, me, I buy one of these franchises and I start collecting taxes from all you guys. I mean, I know you. I live in your community, right? We all know each other. And I'm like, hey, uh, why, don't you, why don't you give me 75 bucks? And I have the whole weight of the Roman government, or in this case, the Uzbekistan military, (laughs) behind me. How would that make you feel about me? I mean, here we've been friends, we've grown up together, whatever, raised our kids together, and now I'm making my money off of you. This is what it was like to be a tax collector at this time. As a matter of fact, they had two categories of really bad people, tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) Like it wasn't even enough just to be a sinner. You had your own category, tax collector. I mean, you'd think it would fit in the sinner category. It was a whole new category, worse than a a tax collector, right? And you might, when April comes, understand that completely but so he says as uh, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth follow me listen he told him and Matthew got up and followed him this is an amazing story we a lot of us know it but we we can't miss these details the first one is that God God's idea of following him is a command Maybe you don't even, you're not even, you don't even believe in God. You're just trying to figure the whole thing out. And so there's this idea that God is requesting you, hey, you know what? When you get, Jesus didn't say to Matthew, hey, once you finish up all your books stuff, uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow, 
when you kind of get everything packed up, why don't you come follow me? It's a command right then. Matthew, follow me. You get the idea that he goes, follow me, and then turns and starts to go. It is a command of, of Christ for all of us in this room to follow him. Okay, it's not a request. It's not a, it's not a, so, so when we reach as a community, all we're doing is, is, is following that command of Christ to just say, hey, God is commanding you to follow him. Now, whether people want to or not, but this is what impels us. And so if you're not a Christian, you're wondering, look, I, I dig all your Christian stuff. I'm glad, you know, you're all pretty nice or whatever. But why do you keep bugging me about it? Why, why can't you just keep it to yourself? We can't. We can't. We reach because Jesus did. That's, that's why we do it. So he says, so Matthew gets up, unbelievable, and follows him. Now, where do you think Jesus is going to take Matthew? I mean, when we, we follow Christ, I mean, what, 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 I mean, if I told you, hey, you need to follow God, I'd probably take you here, you know, to church because that's religious and that's kind of the thing. And I mean, if I'm going to show you God, where, where would I take I'd take you there. Jesus should have taken him to a small group like Cece was saying. Jesus should have said, hey, you can't do this on your own. You got to join a small group and, you know, whatever. And essentially he did you know, join the disciples, but you know, it, it, he could have taken him to synagogue. He could have taken him to a teaching moment. He could have taken him to, hey, okay, we're going to go up in the mountain. I'm going to disciple you for a while, and then we're going to get going. The very next verse is amazing to me. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. See, I, I want us to get this. Part, the, the biggest part of reaching the lost is investing. It's not having our doctrine all figured out. It's not feeling so guilty we got to say something. It's investing in the lives of people. And it's very, very easy. Uh, Lisa and I were walking yesterday. And um, we walk the dog and pray. And then we talk and stuff. And um, we were walking up our street. And there were some neighbors there. And she was, uh, they were kind of walking into their house. And every time we take our dog, somebody asks us a question about our dog. Because the dog is so cute. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so, yeah, one of the best ways to share your faith is to get a long-haired dachshund. <laughs> it just works. Okay, so, so we're talking, and, and, I, and they're like, oh, they asked about the dachshund, and I made some comment about her being stupid, like I always do, and ha-ha, very funny. And then the Lord just prompted me, right then and there, ask them their names. Now, that is not a difficult command of God. He didn't say, hey, pastor, you better whip out the four spiritual laws now. Just ask them their name. And I said, hey, my name's John, and if you drive your car right up this street, you'll run into our garage. <laughs> That's because we live on a little corner thing. And we just began a conversation and we learned about, I learned more about monarch butterflies than you'll ever want to know. I could tell you so much about monarch butterflies, right? We got done with this conversation, and now there are two lives that we can begin to invest in. That is evangelism, okay? And, and if you take our 301 class, we'll get into this a lot more. That is evangelism. I'm just investing in them. 
I'm just caring about them. Now I'm going to find out about butterflies. And next time I see her, I'm going to say, you know, I didn't know. And she'll get all excited. Why? Because I'm trying to trap her into a relationship with God. No, I'm just doing what Jesus did. Jesus said, hey, Matthew, follow me. Let's have a party at your house. Okay, so watch what happens. Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners. There are the two categories, right? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This would have made the disciples extremely uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. I can't even begin to tell you how uncomfortable his disciples are right at this moment. That's the including part. See, there's a thing about reaching the lost. There's a thing about ministry that is very, very messy. People who don't know Christ don't act like people who know Christ. They drop F-bombs. They talk about sexual escapades. They talk about how they spend their money. They talk about what they've seen, what they've smoked, what they drink, when they do this. They talk about getting wasted. They talk about getting divorced and remarried and divorced and then forgetting the whole thing and living with. They talk about all that kind of stuff. It is a messy, uncomfortable thing. It's just part of reaching. Get used to it. It's ministry. We have people in our church who are into stuff you don't even, don't even want to know about. Get used to it. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. We reach the lost because Jesus did. He was with these tax collectors and these sinners. Now, this, it gets so great. This story is one of the best stories in the world. Um, and so uh, it goes on. It says, uh, there are many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat, again, here are the two categories, with tax collectors and sinners? See, even that religious, it gets very difficult. Why? Because God, throughout the New Testament, there's this tension about knowing Christ and, and being in the world, but not of it. And so it's going to make us uncomfortable. We, we, there should be this kind of thing uh, with sin where we're like, man, you know, but that should be the thing that stirs us to reach all the more. It should be the thing that stirs us to go, man, you don't have to live like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Now watch what Jesus says in his answer because this is the key to reaching, okay? This is the key. We'll get it. So we invest, we invite, we include. Watch this. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, we've got to get this concept down. Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This idea of reaching as a physician is huge. Because it it starts to touch on all sorts of parts of our lives. 
that maybe as we have been reached and we come to a knowledge of Jesus and we know our sin and, and we're kind of set free from that and we begin this restoration process in our life, we begin to see our marriage is getting better and our relationships are getting better and things that we were fearful of, we're, we're not really that fearful of anymore. We're, we're beginning to entrust God with more and more of our lives. We have a responsibility. We're essentially becoming doctors. We're essentially discovering a cure, really, if you think about it. And so with all that, with that knowledge, with all the stuff we learn and we come on Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit does a work in our lives and we say, yeah, I mean, I love, we, we kept the rocks here from last week. Last week was an awesome service and, and we, we put these, we wrote on these rocks and we just put them at the cross and the reason we left them here is because even this week, some of us picked our rock up again. <laughs> Like we wrote it down, we said, oh, my marriage. We put it down, and then this week, we're like, oh, I, you know, and it's like, no, you remember you gave that to the Lord. So we, we kept these here to kind of remind us of those things that we gave over to God and that we're gonna keep them. We'll keep them here for a couple more weeks or until some kid throws one through a window and it's like, ah, we have to give it on. But, but they're there to remind you. And, and as we head into a slower time of the service, maybe you just might wanna walk by there and just glance down at them to remind you, yeah, you know what, I gave that, I gave that over to God. But he says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. When, when um, I had been a Christian for about um, 12 years, I think I've told this story before. Um, and man, I love doctrine. I just love doc. I love doctrine. I know it's just kind of weird, but I like, I even like arguing points just in fun now before it was to, because to, I was prideful. I'm still prideful, but just not in that area as much. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'd get into all this doctrinal stuff. And I was learning and learning and learning and reading and reading and reading and listening to different pastors and, you know, really getting into it. I was, I was refining my skills as a doctor. But I wasn't helping anybody. I mean, could you imagine if we're all doctors here, all of us, and I'm giving a talk on how to get rid of cancer and we're just talking about it, and we love, we're passionate about the subject of curing cancer. I mean, it's just what we love, and we learn the different ways with the radiation and the chemo and the cutting and all this kind of stuff. We love it. We even love, you know, we just love it. And then we get done, and we all go back to our offices, and they say, you know, Dr. Bob, uh, you know, emergency in room five. Oh, I'll get there in a minute. I just love this stuff. Oh, oh, I got a new book on cancer. Oh, it's fantastic. I read it over and over. I've recommended it to all my friends. Dr. Bob, emergency in room 10. Oh, I love this subject. See, that was me. And then when we we switched churches, we went from a, predominantly middle-class white church where all our kids were growing up. We're all middle-class, white, sterile, great stuff. I was learning. I had books, cancer books piled high. I knew everything about cancer you could possibly imagine. And then we went to a church where almost everybody had cancer. And it was like, this is the messiest, nastiest I mean, we had marriages that were 
just our first small group, I decided to run, we decided to lead a small group. They were desperate for leaders at this church. So when we walked in, the pastor essentially within a week was like, can you lead a small group? He didn't know if I'd killed people. He didn't know anything. He's just like, do you know what this is? I'm like, it's a Bible. Here, come, go, go. Our very first small group, it's a couple's small group, and we were sitting there, and one couple just, I, we're, I just had an affair, and our marriage is heading down the tubes. I'm like, um, I was going to preach out of Zechariah tonight, <laughs> so if we could just not talk about that, and we'll just go to Zechariah, that'd be fantastic. We began to learn that we knew too much about cancer, and we weren't doing anything to help people with cancer. This is the whole point. And this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a, you, you gotta go, they've got cancer. This is, guess what we get to do? We get to reach like Jesus did. We get to go out to the sick, those people who are sick. Now, some people don't know they have cancer, okay? We're diagnosing people with cancer and they don't even know, they don't, they're, I feel great. I don't need your cure for cancer, but someday they will. And when we invest into their lives, finally when they self-diagnose, it's because that's what has to happen. They go, man, this isn't going right. Guess where they're gonna go to? The doctor they know, which is you and I. And so we invest. And then at the appropriate time, we invite And then when they come flooding in these doors to hear the gospel, we include. When they come into our small group, we include. When they come into our youth group, we include. When they knock on the pastor's door and the pastor's working on a sermon, he stops what he's doing or she stops what she's doing and we include. Because Jesus said this, And it's not in Zechariah, which is actually what I just turned to. That's funny. Um, (laughs) It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Another point that Jesus says here, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say, hey, they're not sick. They're just, you know what? Everybody's kind of got their own path. He says, they're sick. They're dying. Now watch, he goes further. He says, but go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That, that's a Hebrew word. Uh, it, it, in, in the new NIV, it's translated mercy. In the New American Standard, it's translated loyalty. It, it's, it's, it's because it's a super rich word. It's, it's like loving kindness, faithfulness. I mean, it, it's one of these words where it's like, man, I just don't know how to... Uh. That's what God desires. He wants this. He wants our heart. He wants everything in us. Not sacrifice, meaning not just, oh, you know, forgive me for my sins. We'll sacrifice another. He wants us to be on fire for him. Now watch. Here's, here's Here's the kicker. This is it. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, there's gonna come a time when we're investing and we're inviting and we're including, when we're going to have to use the S word. We're going to have to say sin. We're going to have to correctly diagnose it. We're going to have to be bold enough to say, bless you. We're going to have to be bold enough to say, your sin is separating you from God. 
you're going to have to say the word. <laughs> Jesus was not ashamed to say, hey, I mean, can you imagine? He's here at this party. They're all there, tax collectors, sinners. Everybody's having a grand old time. I mean, if Matthew's throwing a party and they're all tax collectors, uh, it's, there's stuff going on that wouldn't be are not living spring small group sanctioned approved, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's like there's stuff going on. And Jesus says, I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners right there in front of their faces. How do you think they knew they were sinners? How they knew. They had their own category, tax collectors. Can you imagine having your own category? Sinners and pastors. You know, I was just trying to say it. But Jesus wasn't ashamed. Jesus, here's the thing, listen. Jesus wasn't uncomfortable in this environment. Now, he wasn't knocking back shots. Okay, it wasn't like, ah, you know what? Hey, when in Rome, do what the tax collectors do. Right? He's not... He's still Jesus. There's still no sin found in him. He's still, he's the God that they're separated from, right? And yet, here he is. And they don't feel that uncomfortable around him either. But he's not afraid to say it. Why? Because understanding the sickness and the depth of the sickness is the only way a physician's going to treat it. See, here's the other part of being a physician. We have to understand the gravity of the situation. We can't make light of it. We can't, we can't just blow it off and go, well, you know, I don't know. I, who am I to say anything? I mean, could you imagine if your doctor said that? He's reading your chart. And you're like, Doc, what is it? What is, I mean, I, I feel it's just horrible in here. He's like, well, who am I to really tell you what's wrong? I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. I mean, we're no different. Well, what is it? Well, it's, it's, you know, we all have our issues. I've got back pain too right here. Oh, yeah. So he says, it's cancer. You got two months to live. You better get your act together. You better tidy up. You better get ready because you're not going to be here for very much longer. Why? Because that's what doctors do. And it's the sick that need a physician. And guess what, guys? We're all physicians. Once we start following Christ and we begin to see the life change that's going on, we begin to see the things as we give our lives over to God and we're like, this is fantastic, They go, yes. Now we reach because that's what Jesus did. And it's messy. Some emergency room situations are, they change your life. Some marriage situations, when you get really deep into them, oh, good gracious. Where else are they going to go? 